Welcome to Miami Mutual Bank. How may I help you? I'd like to cash this check here and then and I'd like to take you out for a steak dinner. <laughs> Are you a real-life pilot? I sure am, little lady. The jump seat is open. It's been a while since I've done this. Which one's the jump seat again? Dr. Connors to the ER. Dr. Connors to the ER. This is irrefutable evidence that the defendant is lying. Special Agent Hanratty, FBI. Hello, Carl. You're gonna get caught. It's like Vegas. The house always wins. Some nuts flying around the country posing as a pilot. Call him the James Bond of the sky. Hello, pusher. This is by far the best date I have ever been on. He's a kid. That's why he doesn't have a record. 30 milligrams of codeine every four hours. Do you concur? I concur. Dr. Harris. Yes? Do you concur? Concur with what, sir? Out of Theaters, the podcast that reviews the movies of yesteryear, this year. My name is Billy Culpa, here with my good friend and film critic, William J. Pfeiffer. Wow, very impressive. Will, hello. <laughs> Hi, Billy. How my full today? name. Yeah, it's, it's J, right? Although the technically there is a junior at the end. Oh, so you're a junior? I'm a junior. My dad was William J. Pfeiffer Sr. I am not a junior. In fact, I don't have a middle name. There you go. If you have listened to the show before, thank you for downloading again. If you have never listened before, the premise is simple. My friend Will has seen many movies. I have not seen that many movies, so Will picks out something that he thinks is interesting, and we debate its merits. That's right. Is that about right? A simple premise. This week's featured movie is 2002's Catch Me If You Can. But first, I'd like to ask Will, have you seen any good movies lately? You know, I have, and uh, this being, of course, the beginning of the year, winter, winter, what else to watch but a horror movie? <laughs> You're a you're a horror guy. I do. I like a lot of horror movies, and I was lucky enough to marry a woman who likes horror movies. And we're raising a little girl, and she keeps saying, "I want to see something that's gonna scare me." So, but like now that she's is that almost, her voice? Yes, <laughs> she actually has kind of a deep voice. But uh, <laughs> but uh, now that she's almost fifteen, it's like when she was a little kid, we had to be very careful about what we showed her. But now it's like as long as there's not too much sex or anything, pff, bring on the R-rated horror movies. <laughs> so. We watched a movie that somehow I had never seen, even though it has a very strong reputation among the horror community. We watched 1992's Candyman, which is a a very interesting movie uh, directed by Bernard Rose. It stars Virginia Madsen and Tony Todd as the titular Candyman. Um, And it's based on an urban legend about a... The spirit of a former slave who seeks vengeance if you go into a mirror and say the words Candyman five times. Five times. Five times. And um, it takes place, What? and to me this was the most interesting things about it because we're of course recording from Rockford, Illinois, which is, you know, not just, just down the road from Chicago. Oh, and sure. this movie is all set in Chicago. It was obviously filmed on location in Chicago. A lot of it takes place in Cabrini Green, which was the notorious housing development that has since been torn down, I believe. Okay. Um, but that, that alone kind of gives it a different feel, a different vibe than a lot of other horror movies. Um, I didn't know what to expect. I just heard it was, it was good and scary. And I, I thought it was great because, for a 
good chunk of the beginning of the movie, it doesn't play like a horror movie. It plays like a movie movie, like a drama where these Virginia Madsen and her friend are these graduate students who are investigating this urban legend and they go into Cabrini Green and they meet these people and there are these murders that were never solved. And eventually it sort of brings out the horror elements. And when it brings them out, it brings them out. But um, it was beautifully shot. It was weird. It was violent when it needed to be and sort of pulled back when it needed to be interesting characters interesting the Candyman is not what i expect at all sort of a very interesting mesmerizing suave kind of character is it a is it a easy movie is it quick is it sort of i mean i, I don't know i i saw it's a, as a kid uh but i when i was a kid all movies were fair game yeah and this movie i don't i mean i don't know if a kid would like it just because i think they may be like i want to get to the monster quicker sure i, you know I know I mean? that I was scared. I remember it's scary. being it, scared. Yeah. And there are, they do some interesting things with people who live in the development, including a little kid who's a great little actor. And I have no idea who he is or whatever happened to him, but he was really strong as this sort of kid who meets Virginia Madsen. But uh, it's one of those movies where like, it keeps becoming a worst case scenario where not only are people killed, but they're killed in a way that makes Virginia Madsen look like she's the one who killed them. And it keeps getting worse and she keeps getting drawn in deeper and deeper and deeper. And then in the end, it kind of makes a turn and turns the tables on everybody. But uh, I know now, I mean, this movie's got, among horror fans, it's got a good reputation. And I can see why, because it's it's solid, man. I feel like I should be talking this on some sort of an October show, but yeah, but yeah, definitely well, watch it. It's, it's on Prime. It's always it's always spooky October here at Oxford. Spooky October. It's spooky February. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I guess I wish I could add more to this. I, this is one of those times, um, all of the pronouns that you're using, I or I'm sorry, all, all of the proper nouns you're using, I've never, I don't know who any of them are. I don't know who Virginia Madsen is. Well, I've she never... was in, Virginia Madsen, she made a big splash. Um, no, I mean, this was one of her first roles, but she was in uh, the movie Sideways with Paul Giamatti several years ago. Okay. And I mean, that was like a big movie and it was, that's not a horror movie by any means. I mean, it's a romantic drama and she, you know she's she's good in that. She does a lot of TV too, I think. But Tony Todd, uh, African American actor who's got a, just a great striking screen presence, and this is the movie he's most known for. Okay. Um, and, and the interesting thing is playing uh, Virginia Madsen's like her buddy, her her fellow um, grad student is an actress named Casey Lemons, who's also done some directing. But she also played the buddy of uh, Jodie Foster in Science of the Lambs a few years later. So. Okay. You oh, might recognize Virginia Madsen. That. Is she related to Michael She's Madsen? Michael Madsen's sister, sister I believe. Okay. I, I want to say, I think older sister, maybe. Okay. I think so. But she's good. She's good in it. And she, weirdly, because this is an 80s movie, she, uh, What's or 92. 92, but I mean, it has that. It, she, she's, um, what, what, she looks like, kind of like Madonna of that era in oh, this okay. movie. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. What's, what's with the poster with the big eyeball and the bumblebee? Uh, the bees play a part. The eyeball, I don't really, I mean, it's, I don't know. <laughs> the bees play a part because, well, but it's, um, I guess because they don't want to show, it's not the kind of movie where he has a striking appearance, but it's sort of the, the whole weird, creepy vibe you get from the whole thing. So maybe it's hard to do a poster for So it. strong recommend. Yeah, I really liked it a lot. Where'd you watch it at? I think it's on Prime. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think um, so. How do you, I mean, how do you operate Prime? Do you have like an app that you're using? Are you like just visiting the website? It's on my TV. I have the app on my TV. Okay. So yeah. Okay. So you're you're saying you're pro streaming? I'm pro streaming, and I'm pro, you know. But I will tell you this: um, I considered buying the Blu-ray after I saw the movie. <laughs> yeah, sure. 
Uh, I purchased a movie this week. I know you did. And it's a more horrifying movie than this one. I purchased uh, 2019's Joker. <laughs> Jesus. God. I don't really want to talk about it. I just wanted you to know that I went online. It was twelve ninety nine. It was nineteen ninety nine the week it came out, and I was like, I don't want to spend twenty bucks. And then when I saw it was twelve ninety nine, I swear I was like, Well, we'll we'll hate this. So I just it is. It. It's probably worth twelve ninety nine for the amount of hatred that I have. I for just it. knew like, I, it was like midnight when I did it, so I couldn't call you or anything. But I, in the moment, you I texted like, me as something when I think you did. <laughs> but I mean, look, it probably won the best actor Oscar at this point. We don't know. Yeah, thanks for helping me with my picks last week. Uh, I dominated. Did you beat that pool. kid? I, I crushed her. God, this will be hilarious. Suck it, Grace. <laughs> Peek behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, no, breaking, <laughs> breaking kayfabe here, but we're on the same night as we were recording last week. So we don't know. But um, um <laughs> I know. Everyone likes the Joker. I just had this visceral hatred for that movie. I tried to wa- I fell asleep, but I watched the first like 25 minutes with the director's commentary on. Oh, good. Todd uh, Phillips. I'm sure he had something off. Todd of. Phillips seems a little. Uh, so this is a, a hilarious thing coming from me. But he seems a little lacking in self-awareness. Oh, you think? Just there's something <laughs> about the way he talks where he just it, it feels like he thinks he's Scorsese. Like, oh, I'm sure he does. He, th- he thinks he made a Scorsese movie. He does. He really does. But you know, <laughs> he um, didn't, by the way. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of how to frame this properly because he's I want, an asshole. <laughs> no, 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 no. He. The thing I liked about the director's commentary is he, it's its very insightful. He is telling you, this is why I shot it like this. Here's what I'm trying to convey. I probably went too hard here, maybe a little soft, whatever. But he's letting you know, like, right off the bat, uh, like, Joker has three laughs. And the one laugh is nervous, and the one laugh, Bob. It's just, I, I like that. I like knowing what's going on and why and the choices they made. And he talks to you about... If only they had been interesting choices. Fair that enough. might be even I, more... I, I'm not going to argue. It, it, it is so funny because I, I only bring it up just to irritate you. Right. I don't even think it's like an amazing movie. Oh, I just wow. think it's interesting. Oh, I think it's amazing, all right. Yeah, I know you do. That's why we talk about it on every episode. And I'm going to keep... You need to, to watch around. a King of Comedy. What is, what, what is that? I mean, it's a, It's the movie the Joker ripped off besides Taxi Driver. With... with uh, De Niro. De Niro. Yes. All right. I don't know. Let's do it for the podcast sometime. We'll see. We've done a lot of Scorsese lately, so... Do you want to get to our... Well, not as much as we've done of Spielberg lately. No, you were right, my friend. Would you like to get to this week's episode? Let's do it. This week's featured movie, 2002's Catch Me If You Can. Thank you very much, and welcome to To Tell The Truth. Our first guest, he's made a career out of being the most outrageous imposter that we've ever come across on this show. And you're going to see what I mean... Number one, what is your name, please? My name is Frank William Abagnale. Number two, my name is Frank William Abagnale. Number three, my name is Frank William Abagnale. From 1964 to 1967, I successfully impersonated an airline pilot for Pan Am Airways, and I flew over two million miles for free. During that time, I was also the chief resident pediatrician at a Georgia hospital and an assistant attorney general for the state of Louisiana. By the time I was caught, I was considered the youngest and most daring con man in U.S. history. I had cashed almost $4 million in fraudulent checks in 26 foreign countries and all 50 states. And I did it all before my 19th birthday. My name is Frank William Abagnale. Catch Me If You Can, uh, as Billy said, directed by Steven Spielberg, based uh, on a autobiography by a guy named Frank Abagnale, who was a legendary imposter, shall he's, we say? He's a legend. He's still alive. But I don't think he's imposting anymore. 
Fair that, enough. That's not the word. <laughs> no, I'm leaving it because I've said so many dumb words that you've called out. I know. I'm leaving it. can't it. be a word. Imposting. Although it should be. It should, I mean, it makes sense. Um, but it's played by Leonardo DiCaprio in this movie. Um, he's a young, he's a young kid. He's still in high school. He's still he a looks teenager. Like a young kid. This is why you cast Leo because I mean, even in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he still has a boyish face. But at this point in his career, which is you know almost twenty years ago, he had the boyish frame and body and everything to go with it. Yeah. So he seems much younger than he actually is, which works so beautifully yep. for the movie. Um. And he has, uh, Frank has sort of a troubled home life. His, his dad is, his dad loves him, Christopher Walken. He loves him. He supports him. He's proud of him. But his dad's kind of a failure. Yeah. And, and a fraud. Yeah. And like kind of a, he's even a failure at being a fraud. Yeah. Cause he tries to get this bank loan for his store and he tries to like drive up in a nice car and have his son pretend he's a chauffeur and it doesn't work at all. Right. And his wife, who is his dad met in, um, in France at the war, and he's like, you know, 100 guys were in love with her, but I'm the one who brought her home and this and that. But she is getting tired of him. Yeah, she, you, you see it right away. Yeah, too. and uh, so that marriage isn't working out, and due to a lot of pressure, and he, young Frank, Frank Abagnale Jr., wants to get out of the house, um, and he just he starts by going to school and impersonating a teacher effortlessly. Well, they, he's a, he's a private school kid. Mm-hmm. And because the dad's failing, he's got to be transferred to a he's public school. He's got to go to public school. And he, he shows up and he's like wearing his private school. Because he's nervous yeah. and he doesn't know what else to do. And, and he goes in front of the room and um, the kids are like all going to make fun of him. And then he pretends he's the substitute teacher. Quiet down, people. My name is Mr. Abignale. That's Abignale. Not Abignali. Not Abignali. But Abignale. Well, somebody please tell me where you left off in your textbooks. And he pulls it off because I, I was watching with my daughter. Maybe this is a terrible lesson. I said, but look, he's got confidence. People believe you if you have confidence. Well, the one, the like the, the bully kid <laughs> makes fun of him. And then he slaps the, the ruler on the table or whatever. And he's like, class, sit down. Class right. has started. And you see the look on that, that actor's face. It's like, excuse me, people. If I need to ask again, I'm going to write up the entire class. Take your seats. Chapter 7. Will you please open your textbooks to uh, Chapter 8 and we'll get started? Excuse me, what's your name? Brad. Brad, why don't you get up here in front of the class here and read conversation number 5. Liz Francais son uh, generally meant Donsler pays Q, press Q. And he takes great pleasure in the sort of singling him out and yeah. this and that. And then his parents are called into school. It's like, no, he's been there. He's been pretending to be a teacher for the last week and a half or something. Yeah. And he was going to take them on a field trip. Yeah. To like a was, French factory. That's, well, that's the thing. He, you know, he, and he could speak French because his mom, of course. So he seems totally qualified. Yeah. Good he for did. him. Well, then he goes from, and we don't have to go every step, but he goes from that to being an, an uh, airline pilot. Um, and then he pretends he is a, a doctor. A doctor. He pretends he's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. He um, at various, and then what he does is he pretends like to the airline pilot. He pretend he's writing an article for the school paper, and people just tell him everything. Yeah, you know. And uh, what well, what does a pilot do? How do they ride? How do they get the uniforms? How do they get paid? Da 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 da. And he just people tell him. And this is all in the '60s 
pre-computers. Right. So you could make your own checks with a decal and a iron and a Xerox machine. It's you know, fun. And stuff it's, like this that. This movie is so fun. It is. It's very fun. It's um. It's very light. It may. It's one of Spielberg's lightest movies. It's got um, John Williams, who does the score for all Spielberg. But movies. it doesn't sound like John Williams. No, that's what I mean. It's his lightest it's score. It's like plucky. It is. It's very da 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 da. And uh, the opening credits are yeah. unlike, and you know, it's very mid-century modern '60s. I mean, this is before Mad Men, but it's very sort of Mad Men light vibe to it. I mean, everything kind of. just looks. You know, it's that era when everyone... It reminded me a lot of the opening to 101 Dalmatians, the cartoon. I don't know if you remember that at all, but like a, a, a quirky score plays while like the little dog spots become music notes. Oh, yeah. But you mean just, the opening credits? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's that era. You know, yeah. it's very 60s, very... And I don't mean 60s psychedelic. I mean early 60s. Like the 60s don't realize they're about to become the 60s yet. Exactly. Yeah. And at a certain point in this movie, they do become the 60s sort of. You know, yeah, but, um, yeah, it gets there. He's got goddamn a hippies come in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but enough of Once Upon a Time. In no, uh, so let's talk about the cast. Let's start there. Okay. Oh, I, I mean, I guess we don't have to. In conclusion, by the way, for plot, he gets he ends up getting caught. Right. Well, this will bring in the other main actor in the movie, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, who plays um, Hanratty. Hanratty. That's not really agent. his name. The real FBI guy's name. They he didn't want to use it. So right. But Hanratty is a great name. Han, it's just fun to say Hanratty. 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 Carl Hanratty. Carl Hanratty. And uh, he play. you know, he's he's after Frank. A lot of people don't seem to care that much, but he's like, no, we got to bring this guy down. And it's almost like a sort of um, Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd kind of a thing. You yeah. Know? He's Bugs Bunny. He's the trickster he's going through. And then Tom Hanks is always a couple steps behind. Right. Uh, uh, it's it's interesting. They the people in the bureau. He works for the FBI, and the FBI is making fun of Hanratty because they're like, he wrote some bad checks, whatever. And Hanratty's like, yeah, he wrote three million dollars yeah, with a bad. Because the mom at one point, like, they finally find out who he is. Because for a long time, they don't know who he is. Right. And they they can't believe it's a high school student. And they go to the mom's house, and she's like, well, I can write a check for it. How much was it? And it's like million dollars or something. Okay. 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 We uh we need to send out an all office teletype. Our runs-up's name is Frank Abagnale Jr., age 17. He's funky, okay? He's in trouble? Ma'am, I'm sorry to have to tell you, your son is forging checks. Forging checks? Wait, I'm sure we can take care of that. I'm working part-time at the church now. Just tell me how much he owes and I'll pay you back. So far, it's about $1.3 million. Remember, we're back in the 60s, so a million dollars was like five, six million dollars yeah, back right, then. right, right. But, um, you know, the interesting thing is, though, is that... uh. You know, Hanratty and Frank, it's like this Bugs Bunny thing. However, here's one thing about that relationship is because Frank lies to everybody. I mean to everybody, to his coworkers, to the people who meets on the street, to the women that he falls in love with, to their parents. He lies to everyone. So he can't trust any no one. He can't put his trust in anyone and he can't tell them the truth. Hanratty's the only one who knows the truth. So every year he calls him and that's the only genuine relationship he has. Right. And Hanratty knows it. Yeah. And see, I think it's interesting because this movie, it's so it's so much fun. It's so light. It just bops along. But without that sort of an actual core relationship you care about, I don't think it would have nearly the impact that it does. I agree. You, you said uh, something interesting years ago. We watched Chinatown. And you said people like to watch somebody who's good at their job. Exactly. That's the main thing people would rather watch anything is 
you know, people who are good at their job. It's fun to watch Tom Hanks discover little things mm-hmm. to figure things out. Like he figures out uh, as he's kind of closing in on Abigail, because basically every time, every time Abigail's about to be caught, uh, he changes occupations. He right. makes a new name. He flies to a new part of the or country. Or he just, one point early on, he tells, he tells Hanks that he's the agent who got there before him and he bullshits him yeah and he leaves he says he's secret service yeah or something and he hands him his he's like you want my credential he hands him a whole wallet here's my whole he wallet. goes hang on it give it back to me later he leaves and tom hanks opens the wallet and it's filled with nothing but labels just to give it some weight yeah it's like great and you know speaking of we'll get back to tom hanks in a second didn't mean to interrupt but i mean frank abnail's job is imper- fooling people it's fascinating to watch the process yeah him steaming uh, Pan Am decals off of toy planes so we can put them on a check and, you know, bidding on a machine that prints checks. The Mercury. Yeah, so he can have it. And it's and uh, winding up at the the uniform store. Right. Where Pan Am pilots get there and, and just telling him, I'm embarrassed. I lost my uniform. And, and they're like, oh, it happens all Pan the time. Pan Am pays for that. Yeah. Hey, it'll come out of your paycheck. He's like, great. I know. It's it's fascinating. It's uh, it's. There's not a lot of this movie that feels like a disconnect to me. When you're watching it, I, I buy it. I, maybe with one exception, it's weird how much people idolize pilots. Back then, though, flying was, you know, I was, um, was it in a book or was it on a podcast or something? But somebody was talking about the first James Bond movie, Dr. No. And I think he flies to Jamaica. Which, okay. you know, I could I think I can fly from Rockford to Jamaica like tonight if I wanted for like 80 bucks or something. <laughs> it's a little more than that, but yeah. But yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. But back then, that was exotic. Yeah, it, flying Flemish. anywhere was exotic. Are you realized, pilot? I sure am, little lady. What's your name? Celine. Celine, it's a pleasure to meet you. It's a pleasure to meet you, too. Back then, you know, flying was new. It was something that... The average person could finally almost be able to do if they saved up their money. Yeah. So I think pilots were seen as this thing. Sure. You know, it was like astronauts. They were this unbelievably glamorous profession. I still feel that way about astronauts. Well, astronauts are. I mean, but you know, most astronauts started as pilots back then. So, so it's, <laughs> it's fun to watch Tom Hanks do his job and, and pick off little parts. Like uh, at some point, he uh, a Barry Allen... <laughs> Uh, that's uh, his uh, alias he gives Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio admits like he, he he's getting married he wants to he met a girl he wants to settle down and Tom Hanks right away realizes he can't change his name anymore right yeah yeah like, he's stuck with that name so let's start digging around with that name uh-huh. and wedding announcements it's like oh yeah that makes a lot of sense it's and very it, clever and it, it's not like it's it's not like he's like some movies show you the weird hacker get on the computer and do oh and which is all bullshit anyway. I know like, but you're <laughs> supposed to believe like exactly I, I don't know what he's doing so I'm sure it's fine you actually know exactly what Tom Hanks is doing. Mm-hmm. You see him go, oh, I get it. That makes a lot of sense. Anyway, they, they track down yeah. the wedding announcement in New Orleans, and they're able to, within two days, they've got They're it. at the house, yeah. yeah. And that's when we, because um, he's wants to marry. Who play, Who's the actress he wants to marry? Oh, Amy Adams. Amy Adams. As like a young Amy Adams. Like yeah. As a kid. And, she's, and she looks even younger because she has braces. And blemishes. And blemishes. And they, they, I mean, they, young, they age her down, yeah. obviously. But, uh, and her dad's Martin Sheen. Her dad's Martin Sheen. I know. Uh, who's... <laughs> who's got like this tense scene where he, he uh, confronts him like what are you doing with my daughter yeah Leo Leo's unfortunately boosted his resume up so big that yeah. he's a doctor and a lawyer and a lawyer he, you know, he couldn't just be a fake doctor he had to I be love a that fake Martin Sheen is like you don't want anything to do why are you with my daughter like my daughter sucks well he <laughs> says you- like but he's like you know he's like I know what what you're all about I know what you're trying to hide and he's like you're a romantic like me you know this and that and, yeah. <laughs> by the way I saw Martin Sheen just today I was watching a movie on some old 
TV channel, not Turner Classics, called The Incident, where he and another guy played psychos who were terrorizing a subway car full of passengers. And Martin Sheen was so scary. He must have been about Leo's age. You spent your Saturday watching a channel that is not even the name brand classic movie channel. It's the discount classic movie channel. Hey, if the movie's on it, I don't care what channel it is. Okay. How do you even, do you like search, like, do you just type in old movies and then. Type in? This well, is on TV. I just surf remote. around until I can find it. Oh, God. I know certain that. old channels and I'll just see what's in advance. And if it looks interesting, I'll just hit DVR. How and then, old are you? I'm 52, buddy. God, I haven't had cable in 10 years. Well, there you go. <sighs> Have a, Enjoy that Joker you paid 13 bucks for. Oh, man. That's great. It's like one third of a, one of your DVDs. It's fine. Okay, yeah. Where, where are you buying DVDs? <laughs> Uh, okay, so Amy Adams, Martin Sheen we've talked about. James Brolin. I don't know if you care who James Brolin is. Wait, who's James Brolin? It's Josh's dad. He's, uh, he's the head of the um, rotary that Frank's mom marries after she leaves oh, Christopher Walken. I, I thought Josh Brolin when you said no, that. No, it's his dad. Okay. And yeah, he, he it's weird. That whole, that whole thing is kind of weird. Um, well, I, she's banging him, clearly. I saw this movie in theaters, uh, and it opens up. Pretty early in the movie, first five minutes, we see Christopher Walken, who we, mm-hmm. I don't think we've really talked that much about. No, and he and he's great. This is a very understated Christopher Walken performance. He's really good in but it. But he has this one speech that he repeats like three times. Yeah, because so, like, he's got his, about the two ants go into a pile of milk and one of them one drowns, of them but one keeps yeah. struggling and he turns it into butter and he walks out. And- two little mice fell in a bucket of cream. The first mouse quickly gave up and drowned. The second mouse wouldn't quit. He struggled so hard that eventually he turned that cream into butter and crawled out. Gentlemen, as of this moment, I am that second mouse. (laughs) But he's that guy. He's got that one speech. He doesn't have a whole lot he's working with. Yeah, that's kind of it. That's the whole thing. It's like you think the first time you hear it, it's charming. The third time you hear he it, doesn't it's pathetic. Have, yeah, and he is, he's so, Christopher Walken's character, his dad is so, he's so excited by Frank being a pilot, but he's even, he's even more excited, excited that he's a con man. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, you're it. pulling something over. Because he's like, he's struggling to pay some taxes on some tax dodge he did before the, you know, and he keeps saying like, the government's after me, but I got him and this and that. And he's, he's never going to. No, no, he's going to die owing the government. It's like, that's fine. But it's, but Leonardo DiCaprio, he really, he really loves his dad. Yeah. His dad really loves him, but he's not a good dad. He's not a good dad at all. Uh it's weird how even Leo lies to his dad. Yeah. He says, I'm a pilot. And he's like, well, you're not really a pilot. And it's, it's funny because Walken knows. Yeah, he does. It, he, but you're right. He's more excited that he's pulling something over, especially pulling something over on the government. Yeah. that's. I mean, is, really, you'd be like, my son is facing federal prison. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, and there's no way to turn yourself in. No. And yeah. He's he, right. Christopher Walken says, you can't stop. And because Leo's young enough, Frank is young enough where he thinks... He can't. He sort of thinks like, oh, I can end the game. That uh, And they're like, <laughs> no, it's no. way too past that. Yeah. So uh, we, we do watch Leo's mom cheat with, with James Brolin. Um, and eventually she marries him. And then right. they have a kid. Yeah. Which I don't buy because his mom is already like in her mid 40s by the time the movie starts. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, it's she weird had that it. they have like a four year old. It know. seemed to me that to me, it didn't seem like Leo was 
running around that long. It seemed like he was a year or more, not like four years, but what? but know. he had to pass the bar and whatever. Okay, whatever. And uh, he did pass the bar. He did. They, In real life, the guy did too. Hanratty's like, how'd you, how'd you, who'd you pay to do the bar? Who'd you? And he just took it and he, he did it. How did you do it, Frank? How did you cheat on the bar exam in Louisiana? I didn't cheat. I studied for two weeks and I passed. Is that the truth, Frank? Is that the truth? Apparently in real life, he failed it like four or five times. I think most people fail. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not an easy... I passed it on my first time, but... No, I know. I, I helped you study. You remember? That's we right. That we did. <laughs> what if? What if that were the case? <laughs> God. But anyway. um, But yeah, so James Brolin marries him. And there's a great scene when Leo is sort of at the end of his rope. And he comes to his mom's house. Because his... Well, we'll talk about that in a second. But he... And the, the little girl's in there. And he's just looking in the window. And he realizes his life... What, what, he, he has no family. He has no life. The whole point of the movie is that he's trying to piece back together what he had when he was 16. Right. And it's just one. That's the moment when he goes, oh, it's, you can't go home again. Right. You know, it's over. Well, and then on the, because spoiler alert, Hanks does finally catch him and uh, they're on the plane and he says, you, you know, your dad died essentially. Yeah. And he, that's he, how you find out. He, he and, fell down some stairs. Yeah. He fell down some stairs and he died. And Leo's of course despondent. And he he sneaks off a moving plane, which is a pretty neat trick if you can pull it off. The fun dynamic in this movie is that you never know if Leo's actually despondent or if he's. I think he was pretty. He was by his own dad. I mean, that was yeah. But in the moment, you don't quite know. Man, I'm well. I mean, I thought that he was. I didn't. I wasn't really doubting that. I just thought it was another con, you know. Well, the the movie, the moment when I think you really don't know what the situation is that really works is Tom Hanks. Because every Leo calls him every Christmas Eve. It just it starts out that way kind of coincidentally, but then Tom Hanks realizes you got nobody else on Christmas, you know. And Tom Hanks is always working late on Christmas. Um and uh so he arrests him in Christmas in France. Cause they figure out he needs this kind of printing press to do what he's doing. Right. And there's only one and da da da. So they go there and Tom Hanks is like, I got you. He says, put the cuffs on. He says, if you go outside, they're gonna shoot you. There's all these cops out there and Leo thinks he's lying to him and he's he and Leo this is where I think the movie gets its depth is that Leo or it's at least emotional punch is that Leo has been lying for so long that he he doesn't know who to trust right he doesn't know what his move should be he doesn't should he trust this guy should he not trust this guy so finally then Tom Hanks brings him out and he thinks that he lied to him and yeah, then he's, he's, all and the he's cops impressed. Show up. he's actually impressed yeah. he's like great job you got me but that scene where before he comes out is you feel like Leo, like he's on the edge. like Yeah, so that's that's the scene where they, they catch him. They they put him on the plane. He finds out Carl wasn't lying. There actually are all these French police officers. Right. They were a little late showing up, but that's just... But they were there, yeah. yeah. And he's he's looking at spending a long time in what looks like a very miserable French prison. And they're like, we'll extradite you. We'll bring you home, this and that. Well, and he, he I mean, he does. He gets, he gets like pneumonia in the prison. Yeah, it's and bad. And again... He's coughing and you think it's an act, but it's, but it's not. not. And he's trying to run out of there and he's like got no hope, but he refuses to, you know, kind of give up right. as in catch me if you can. Right. And they do catch him, by the way. <laughs> but so then again, we're going to spoil this movie, but Tom Hanks convinces his bosses that this guy is an asset. And it's sort of the precursor to the government hiring hackers to build computer security so they can show him and 
Leo's biggest struggle is can he do a nine to five day job? And it's like, and more importantly, on the weekends when nobody's watching him, what's he going to do? It's weird that he just gets to be free on the weekends. Yeah, I, that was, a, you think a, he'd be in some kind of custody. He is a federal prisoner. Yeah. You know? But yeah, it's like, see him Monday morning. Yeah. And he, he, he goes to the airport as a pilot. And Tom Hanks is like, Nobody's nobody's chasing you. Well, kind of. Here's here's what sucks about that scene. Is inter- I mean, it's interesting. I don't mean sucks production wise. I mean it sucks for Tom Hanks. He it's Friday and he has got to go. He's going to race to I think meet his daughter. Yeah, because his because his family like he doesn't really he's have divorced a family and his, that, they live in different cities yeah. and he wants I think he's going to visit his daughter. I think I, I might have that yeah. wrong audience. I apologize. No, that's it. I think. But there's a there's a specific point where he's telling Leo like. Leave me alone. He's like packing his stuff up for the day. Yeah, he's like, I'm, this is, yeah. It's four o'clock on Friday. I got to roll. And Leo says to him, well, what am I supposed to do? And Tom Hanks says, I'll see you Monday. Have a good weekend. Yeah. Watch football, whatever. How you doing? It's not a good time, Frank. Clearing my desk for the weekend. Oh, you mind if I come to work with you tomorrow? (sighs) Tomorrow, Saturday. Flying to Chicago to see my daughter. I'll be back to work on Monday. You're gonna see Grace, huh? Well, that's the plan. So what should I do till Monday? I'm sorry, kid. I can't help you there. Excuse me. I mean, he's never lived a normal life he since know he what was. To do. Yeah. And somehow that ends up. Leo ends up going and getting a costume, and getting into the airport, and then Tom Hanks shows up there, which means. Oh, you know, he never mind. He, I, I, the whole point is stupid because I think Tom Hanks says she's sick, can't hang out. She's with her friend. She, they're skiing. I yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. So now I'm here to track you down. And then he says, but you know what? I'm going to let you go because I know you'll be back. He's like, nobody's chasing you. I spent four years trying to arrange your release. Had to convince my bosses at the FBI and the Attorney General of the United States you wouldn't run. Why'd you do it? You're just a kid. Man, I'm not your kid. You said you were going to Chicago. My daughter can't see me this weekend. She's going skiing. Said she was four years old. You're lying. She was four when I left. Now she's 15. My wife's been remarried for 11 years. I see Grace every now and again. I don't understand. Sure you do. Sometimes it's easier living the lie. I'm going to let you fly tonight, Frank. I'm even going to try to stop you. Because I know you'll be back on Monday. Yeah. How do you know I'll come back? Look. Frank. Nobody's chasing you. And then it's that great shot in that great mid-century modern airport where it's just him alone, like a white background. He's in the blue pilot suit. And yeah. It's good. And you know, the thing you need to remember is Frank Abagnale is a kid in this movie. I mean, even at the end, he's still, is he even 20? He, well, yeah, he must he must be like 22. You know, But like, still, yeah, yeah. that's a kid. Yeah. And it's fun to see them at the end. They get excited looking at a, uh, Leo ends up coming back. On right. Monday. He just, yeah, at first but it's like, is he late? Is well, he's he late. He's like three guy, hours late Yeah, and work. a guy comes in and it's Leo. No, it's not Leo and da, da, da. But yeah, he's. They end up watching them. how somebody new is forging checks and mm-hmm. it's exciting and i want to watch that movie again it's like you know it would be fun to watch them chase down it's a it's a check 
forger in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And Leo's like, it's the teller. I know it's the teller. And here's because why. here's wine. Yeah. yeah it's it's like, like you said, people are good at their jobs. It's so good. It seems great. It should be like a Netflix series, like just busting check fraud people. <laughs> busting like, check fraud. Well, you know, like check uh, fraud kind of a, the, the, the law and order model, but for like, Man. you know, not special victims unit because that show is horrifying. I don't want to watch that. That's Let's a, watch check fraud. That's a jolly show. <laughs> that show has a lot of kids on it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So uh, I think this movie is excellent. I mean, really it's good. excellent. In, in, a, in a way that we have kind of a theme happening in our show lately where... You like movies. Catch, well, maybe. But Catch Me If You Can, I don't think anybody would say it's like a top five Spielberg movie. Right? I mean, you have Jaws. I mean, he's got Post- such a deep bench. That's so. what I'm saying. But this is this is like one of those movies that you... You know, it's it's outside of the top ten maybe, but it it's very strong. And it's underappreciated, like Contagion last week, where it's right. just this great movie that, I don't know, I don't know how many conversations I've had about Catch Me If You Can, but it's just such a well-done movie that it's hard to criticize it, and I'm glad I watched it again. It's a damn solid movie. It's a just entertaining. I mean, I'm a, you know me. I love everything. Little, you love well, everything except Todd Phillips. I, I don't like Todd. I don't like Julie Roberts. That's <laughs> And I didn't like Avatar, but I like, you know, I, I always talk about movies that are kind of like edgy or kind of like, you know, rough and tumble and this and that. This is a huge budget Hollywood movie with two of the biggest stars in the world by arguably the biggest director in the world and his top cinematographer and his top scorer based on a best-selling book. Everyone operating like at the peak of Hollywood talent. Yeah. And God damn it. When that works, it works. It just It's funny how it doesn't feel like it has that kind of legacy. Like everything you described is like Jurassic Park, you know, or, or something yeah. huge. This doesn't feel huge. I like Jurassic Park, but I would argue this movie is more even than Jurassic Park. I, I mean, it's the hardest thing to do is to take a movie like this and to keep it light and to keep it moving along and not to bog down with just how big it is. And it, it works. I it mean, was nominated for two Academy Awards. Do you know which ones? I don't know. Take a guess. Don't look. Okay. Um, it is nominated for cinematography. No score. Score. Okay. Score and um screenplay. One actor got something. Christopher Walken. It's Walken. Yeah. Did he win? I don't know. It says nominee, so I'm assuming not. I mean, Christopher Walken. You know, he's 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 a lot of fun to watch, and he's been in a lot of crazy movies. But this one is he's he's playing a real character. He's not playing like crazy Christopher Walken. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's good. He's like a heartbreaking character, too. You feel for him, even though he's such a schmuck. His character kind of reminds me of his character in Pulp Fiction, where he's like, I carried this watch through two wars, like this sort of bullshit kind of guy. I don't know. It reminds me of that. I mean, but yeah, maybe. I mean, it's around the same time. Well, I guess it's- No, no, no. No, it's like seven years later. But uh, that, I mean, to me, that- I don't even know if that's a character. It's just a speech. I mean, yeah, he's literally, that's his only scene cameo, in the whole movie. Yeah. But that, it's I, fun. I like the idea that that's Frank's dad who popped up into Pulp Fiction and then left. <laughs> but he was in Vietnam and Frank's dad was in World War I. Oh, okay. <laughs> or World War II, not World War I. <laughs> He'd be really old. <laughs> so help me contextualize this in 2002. We're saying that, or I'm saying, I, 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 I kind of feel foolish because you just made a very good counterpoint that everybody's operating at the peak of their powers. Yeah, it's very much... And yet, they're not bogged down by that because a lot of times that can result in kind of a big, dull Hollywood Yeah, yeah. Movie. Like uh, a good example of that is that one two or three years ago that Spielberg did that came out, The Bridge or something. Uh, oh, um, Bridge of Spies. Bridge of Spies. That that movie feels bogged down and it's, yeah. it's trying to win I mean, it's Academy not Award. terrible, but yeah, it fe- it's a little too... 
I know. I mean, it's a more serious subject, yeah. obviously, but still, I know. Yeah, I mean, Spielberg. You know, he made like uh, Amistad in that. I mean, and always something. When Spielberg goes wrong, he can go kind of. Yeah. It's just it's it's never a bad movie, but sometimes it's just kind of like a uh, movie. It's so your my point is that I thought this movie was sort of underrated, under the radar, but it's it's really not. I mean, it's a major major movie. It is, but it's not, you know, you're right. When people talk about classic Spielberg, it's like Raiders and Jaws and Close Encounters and Sinner's List and E.T., all of which are fine movies. But this one is so different. It's, it's so good, It's too. one of the most purely entertaining movies he's ever made. So help me put this in context. What else was going on that year? What? Yeah. This is 2002. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, like, the major players all had other movies. Spielberg did Minority Report that year with Tom Cruise. I love that movie, but that movie is the ugliest Spielberg movie I've ever seen. Well, you know, it's the same... Here's the weirdest thing is I believe um, it's the same cinematographer. I believe it's uh, Janice Kamuski who does like basically all of Spielberg's movies it's now. It's blue. That entire movie is blue. And a lot of Spielberg's movies are kind of blue now. Like they're kind of – but this one is very light and poppy and colorful. I mean the scenes in Catch Me If You Can – well, but not even pastel, but like when they show he has that swinging pad in Atlanta or wherever it oh, is. Oh, it's orange. It's just bright and sunny and, and it works. It's perfect he for this movie. He screams at that guy for getting like his Italian imported yeah. mask dirty. And he's like, it's just a shirt. And he's yeah, like, yeah. you're just a shirt. It's nice to think about that. That it wouldn't be, but that Leo going to seed a little bit and becoming the Leo in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> or or uh, Wolf of Wall Street. That's right. Well, then, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that Leo, he's uh, he's been in some good movies. But so you have Spielberg did a Minority Report. Uh, Leo was also in Gangs of New York with Scorsese, and uh, that's a that's did, a flop, right? I've never seen Gangs of New no, York. No, it. I think it was a huge budget movie. See that that is one. There's some great stuff in it. Dan Day Lewis is mesmerizing in it. Okay, but um, it it's too long and it drags in parts. It's not. Ter- I mean, it's got Liam Neeson's in it and John C. Riley and Cameron Diaz of all people. But okay. it's that's like. Well, I saw that in theater and I got no real desire to watch it. Although I would happily watch some of the highlight scenes with uh, um, Dan Day Lewis. Okay, he's I mean, like I said, I've never seen a movie yeah. that he's in. Hey, one other point I want to bring up because um, Minority Report is a, is another good. It's a good movie, but I think where it falls apart for me is that this whole futuristic sci-fi pre-crime world, it all feels so believable. The eye surgery thing makes a lot of sense why he would have to do that. I love all of that, but it boils down to three... Three bald people in a tank. Right. That doesn't make any sense. I know. And it's, you know, it's based on a short story by Philip K. Dick, who also wrote the Blade Runner was based on Summer Toys AI. Yeah, yeah, that's AI, man. Uh No, no. Brian Aldis wrote that. Oh really? Yeah, that's oh, not Philip K. Dick. My no, bad. he wrote um, he wrote Blade Runner and uh, something other big. That Super I'm... Toys Last Summer Long. Sorry, that's the name. Yeah, that's Brian. I, I understand. But um, and it was a short story, and I get the feeling in a short story you you can gloss that over in a couple sentences and move on. In this movie, which you're right, it's because like there's advertising that it identifies you and it directs that stuff all feels so real. Everything about it feels real. Yeah. The other part that feels like magic, frankly, and yeah. it's all delivered on a carved wooden ball. And it's like, mm. it just that, that system. Yeah. I don't, I wish that was I like a lot about that movie, but yeah, you're right. I really Sorry. Right. No, but, um, and then Tom Hanks, our other major player, he was in road to perdition that year. One yeah. of your favorite movies. It is my favorite movie. I love that. That's movie. your favorite movie. Of I'm all willing time. to say that. Yeah. I like it. You know what? I identify it with it a lot because, because I like that it's a period piece. I like that the cast is big. It's a big, crazy. I mean, Paul Newman and Jude Law. It's like, it's a big, cool cast. Daniel Craig. 
And I like Jeff that Jason it's, Lee. it's not a mainstream pick. And I realize like that's that's the same reason why as a teenager you grow up in like punk rock. It's like a it's a different sort of thing. I just every time I watch Road to Perdition, I just think like I wouldn't change anything. It's so good. That's I like all. it. I think it's a little sloggy in parts, but I like it. It sure. looks great. Yeah. But no, I mean, but I, I think it's it. Those three players all had other major movies out that same year. Then you also had that same year at Boy and Identity. You had about Schmidt with uh Nicholson, Lord of the Rings came out that year, I believe. The first one, maybe? One of them. Yeah, it did. Uh, this is the, sorry, this is the 74th, the March 2000. So we want the two, we want the 75th Academy Awards, the 2003 Academy Awards. Oh, I'm not listing. I'm just looking at the I know, movies. I just was looking at what, what won. Well, what, what won what was that? It, what was it playing against? What won that year? So the, the year, so this would have been the March 2003 Awards, which reflect the 2002 movies. All right. Um, Best picture was Chicago. <laughs> wow. Please, I know. Wow. Uh, the other nominees were Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, The Hours. That's King. the best Lord of the Rings movie, by the way. Oh, I think I disagree. I think. I mean, it's good. I just like the first. I, we've talked about this before, too. I, I like I like getting the gang together. That's. The, I like the, when things happen. But yeah, well, but that, that happened is boring. But it's just that's like the start of let's have a 35 minute battle scene. That's a great battle scene, though. But um, anyway. And the, the pianist, actually. Um, that's um, the year Polanski won for Best Director. That's right. And he was not there to accept it. Yeah, because he's <laughs> forbidden. But you also had Panic Room, Fincher's uh, movie. You had Signs, uh, H. M. Night Shyamalan. Punch Drunk Love, Adam Sandler's uh, drama, which is very good. 25th Hour, Spike Lee's sort of post-9-11 movie. One of the first post-9-11 movies, which is really good. Okay. Um, so it was an interesting year, but I just find it fascinating that uh, all three major players of catch me if you can had other major movies out that year yeah that's a that's a that's a good point so yeah not bad oh bowling for columbine oh that must one best documentary i think yeah i'm gonna stop looking at the internet and go back to doing this podcast oh okay <laughs> what an <laughs> do you have idea. any other final thoughts on catch me if you can um watch it it's it's great it's so much fun and it's funny how young leo looks in this movie it's it's a weird um it's weirdly rewatchable. It's the kind of movie where you can jump in kind of anywhere and it's yeah. just, it's fun because there's, there's interesting stuff going on. Yeah, because there's so many scenes. You're like, oh, I'm going to watch it until he does this. or I'm going to watch it until he does this. And you know, one other thing I was, I was I, when I watched this, because Leo looks so young, I it reminded me because I think we've come to almost maybe take him for granted. You know, he's in Django and he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and he was in Wolf of Wall Street. When he... Pre-Titanic and everything, the first thing I ever remember seeing him, besides growing pains on TV... Romeo and Juliet? Huh? Romeo and Juliet? No. Before that, he's in a movie called Whatever Happened... Or uh, what, What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Where he played a supporting character. He was... Um, Johnny Depp was the main character. He was Gilbert Grape, I believe. And uh, Leo was his younger brother who was developmentally disabled. And he was great. Okay. I mean, I think he, I think he got nominated for an Oscar. But he, when, when you saw this performance, you're like, who is this guy? Sure. Who is he? And he was so young, and you knew he just had. Yeah. I mean, you know, I can see him. He's such a strong actor. You can see him having a career when he's 80, like you're, doing interesting things. You're gonna get mad at me for saying this. I felt the same way about the kid from AI. And Sixth Sense. I'm sorry, I forget. his name's escaping me right now. Haley Joel Osment? Haley Joel Osment. When he was a kid. He I was. Just, People were like. Stunningly. He had like this weird. It's weird to see a little tiny guy have gravitas. But he seemed like. Yeah. 
a serious actor. And if, I mean, and nothing against Halen Johnson. I mean, being a child actor and just surviving is a tremendous achievement. <laughs> yeah. And he's been fun. Like he was on Silicon Valley one he's season. Funny in that, he's very yeah. funny. Uh, but I don't think anyone. I don't think you see him at the same level that you did back then. And I, when he was in Sixth Sense, people were saying, like, they should get that guy to play Harry Potter. He's great. He was great. Yeah. I mean, I think they're all glad they didn't get him to play Harry yeah. Potter. Um, but I think Leo just, you know, he's still getting nominated for Academy Awards 30 years later. Yeah, my, my question was kind of in earnest. I guess I was going to get at what's the difference. And, and, and to be fair... Leo is widely considered, you know, one of the three most handsomest people in it's, Hollywood. It's luck. It's biology. Yeah. It's it's your choices you make. I mean, you know, it's. I suppose it comes down to parents, especially for a child actor. I mean, it's there's no blueprint. I mean, Jodie Foster has had one of the most successful careers in Hollywood, but you can list tons of other child actors who oh, literally okay. didn't survive. Jake Lloyd. I mean, Jake, Jake Lloyd, Lloyd is now schizophrenic. I mean, you got guys like Corey Feldman, who is kind of like a weird joke now, but I mean, when Stand By Me came out, people were like, this guy is great. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I mean, it, you don't, it's so much pressure to put on a child. You know, you don't, you can't, you can't blame the kids. I mean, it's. I, 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 oh, certainly that's not what I was saying at all. I just, yeah. it's interesting to hear you describe Leo and knowing right away when I, I was so sure Haley Joe Osment was going to be. Well, you weren't the only one. I mean, yeah. even somebody like Tom Cruise, when he was in Risky Business, I mean, there were a million teen sex comedies coming out in that era. Why was Tom Cruise arguably, you know, one of the three biggest stars in Hollywood history? He's still making, he's still leading box office movies. It's funny because I don't like Tom Cruise as a person and I enjoy almost every movie of his. I you see. don't have to like it's him shocking, as a person. Right? Like, That's, you know. I don't know what to do about That's that. That's the magic of Hollywood. What do you mean you don't know what to do about it? I don't it? know how to rectify that. I, I heard this funny Tom Cruise story. Don't um, care about it. I want to say it was like Adam Carolla or Jimmy Kimmel or Bill Simmons. Part of those guys had Tom Cruise showed up at their Super Bowl party years ago. And oh, you know who it was? It was Bill Hader. Bill Hader tells this story. So I'm, I'm literally telling you. A I've heard story this story. Where <laughs> Bill Hader introduces himself and Tom Cruise is like, yeah, I'm Tom Cruise. And Bill Hader's like, yeah, no shit. I know you're Tom Cruise. Yeah. And Bill Hader points at him. I'm sorry. Tom Cruise points at him and says, like, SNL guy, yeah. funny, host, does impressions, as if he had prepped for this party. I'm, sh- I'm sure who, people do that. Like, the task. And it was like, it kind of made Bill Hader realize, like, this guy's an alien. Like, well, did you, did you ever hear the story of Christian Bale in um, American Psycho? No. It's Christian Bale, right? Yeah, yeah. He... Uh, he based his performance on watching Tom Cruise on Letterman because he said, that's a guy impersonating a human being. Sure. And he <laughs> says, that's what Patrick Bateman is doing. He has nothing inside. Now, I'm not saying Tom Cruise has nothing inside, but his idea was, I'm going to pretend I'm a human being and fake it. That's, uh, that's, I love this guy. I really do. I don't, you know, I don't want to get too political, but I'm a, I like Pete Buttigieg. That's the criticism people are giving him. Yeah, he, that he's, he's he's a robot wearing a human skin. And I mean, it's like Tom Cruise. You don't know anything about Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. I don't either. And I'm not saying he's good or bad. Right. These I, famous people, we don't know them at all. At all. I mean, all we know is what's on the screen or what we see on in a magazine or a website, and that's probably bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that is what we thought of celebrities. <laughs> and catch me if you can. And a guy who's pretending to be a celebrity. <laughs> Frank we would love to know what you thought. Find us on Apple Podcasts at Out of Theaters. Leave us a review. We always ask for them, and we try to read them when we can. I got one here for you from somebody named Hihachi007. Okay. I don't know who this is. I kind of like it when they're anonymous because it means it's not just your buddy. <laughs> 
Um, and it's a bud. pretty complimentary one. So I want to, I want to take, let's take a serious tone here because it says, okay. uh, the headline is they're the classic odd couple out of theaters is very entertaining for a wide range of listeners. Will this one's a little long, so sorry. That's but, fine. Uh, Will Pfeiffer is a fanatic with decades spent feasting on the canon of film, devouring movies of brow, both high and low. His young sidekick. I like how people think I'm young. I'm thirty. I'm about to turn thirty-seven. You're an old man. <laughs> Whatever it's worth. Let's talk hair. I'm not going to make it to fifty people. So, his young sidekick, but not Ward. Billy Culpa likes movies, <laughs> but Ward. was raised like on that. the standard American diet. If your movie experience has mostly been acquired at the high def multiplex, like Billy. You're in for a widely, oh, sorry, a wisely curated trip through an eclectic palette of movies you've heard of but never seen, as well as movies you've never heard of but will soon be glad to know. For people more like Will, who have a wide-ranging love of movies, although truthfully, you probably don't know many people who love as many movies as much as Will does, it's a chance to perhaps revisit an old favorite and get an insightful take on it, as well as see how a fresh pair of eyes view that movie. Uh to close, he says, in any case, it's a fun ride and hang as you listen to Oscar and Felix, Burton and Ernie, or perhaps <laughs> most aptly, Sherman and Mr. Peabody. Wow. When their way through movies that deserve your attention. I don't know. That's a that's a long, gratuitous thing to read, and maybe I'll try to shorten those up in the future, but that's super earnest. And Man, thank you very much. Super appreciated. That's really kind. That means, I mean, seriously, we joke around a lot. When people listen to our show and really seem to get some out of it, my God, that means a lot. I sometimes think... I feel if I were to criticize our show that sometimes we get a little too windy, you know, yeah. we, we tangent and then tangent and then tangent. It's not a very structured show, but I do enjoy getting to sit with you and watch a movie. And, uh, I don't know. We don't always agree. We've been agreeing lately. We have, we need to fix that, but I don't mind the tangy because I think that's our honest, we're having an honest conversation. Sometimes we tangent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fun to be part of these movies. Cause you know, you, you watch something and you want to call up your buddy and have that conversation, and it's nice to sort of record it and, and get other people's feedback. And we, we're, we're always glad you guys listen. What are we going to watch next week? Well, let's uh, let's stay with the Spielberg for one more movie. Um, but uh, let's see. Let's let's go in a complete... Things, maybe did we get a little too light this week? But we're going to go in completely the opposite direction. Going to go back to 1993. Okay. Steven Spielberg after being the biggest director in Hollywood for a long time, finally won his Oscar for 1993's Schindler's List. Schindler's List. I've, um, so we've already admitted we're recording these back to back. So I did just see it, but until we knew we were going to do this, I'd never seen this movie. I'm a first time viewer of Schindler's List. I had not seen it since I saw it in the theater back in 1993. So 1993 was, was a bleak year for you. I'll never forget you telling me you took a girl to see Philadelphia. Was that 93? <laughs> Uh, maybe yeah, I think it was because I think Tom Hanks was. I think Philadelphia, that was Schindler's List. I saw Schindler's List. By the way, I saw it alone. Really? Yeah, I don't know why because it was out. I think I saw that, and I saw a movie called um, "In the Name of the Father" the same day. Daniel Day Lewis movie again, another very serious drama. Got it, got it. But I- Schindler's List, um, it's a, it's it's worth it, but it's not an easy ride. Does it have a plucky soundtrack like a? Oh Catch no, it's John Williams again. Yeah, sure. But it is not plucky. Big Star Wars fanfare. Yes. Oh, there are. There's an evil empire in this movie. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. Well, with that, we thank you for watching. Catch me if you can with us, and we hope you'll uh, watch Shinosis next week with us. For Will Pfeiffer, I'm Billy Culpa. We'll miss you all. Most of all. Most of all. Most of all.